And so, it begins. This season is upon us. I don't know why it feels this way every year. I don't know why it, it feels so um, uh, drastic or sudden to me. It's not like it's different any year, uh, you know, year to year. But it is the hardest thing for me to adjust and to, to switch gears from the celebration of Thanksgiving, which was just three days ago, to beginning the season of Advent, which many people can call the Christmas season. I don't. It's, it's semantics to a point, but Christmas is a day. Advent's the season. But really, however you think about it, it is the time when we're surrounded by the preparations for Christmas. And it starts today. So we go from Thanksgiving right into Advent. One of the things that has never bothered me about our, the way we do things here is we never, because of the Thanksgiving holiday, we're never able to, to really, or I shouldn't say we're never, we choose to not to do the decoration until after the Thanksgiving holidays. So even though it is the first Sunday of Advent, we don't have our Christmas decorations up. That'll be next week when you come in. And I kind of like that because it feels like there's a little margin between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Or Thanksgiving and the celebration of that, even though we know that those things overlap. And we know that, that really, for many people, Christmas celebration begins before Thanksgiving nowadays. In fact, let, let, me, let me kind of give you a little insight. Let me, let me tell you about my week. Because I, for 21 years of marriage, um, Tony and I, that is, married together to each other, um, <laughs> just in case you were wondering, uh, for 21 years we have, I believed, had been unified in, in thought and belief in that you do not decorate for Christmas until after Thanksgiving. For 21 years, we have never decorated for Christmas until after Thanksgiving. I believe that's the way God intended it to be. <laughs> Last Saturday... As I was in, yeah, I hear it. As I was working, getting things ready for Saturday's a prep day for me for Sunday, uh, I look out in the living room and there's Tony and there's Cassidy and they're bringing in the Christmas boxes. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, we've got the time. We're going to put up the Christmas tree and decorate for Christmas. I was heartbroken. And I, yes, it was so sad. And I said, under no circumstances do we decorate for Christmas before Thanksgiving. In fact, I exercised my authority and I forbid it. What I forgot, what I forgot is that I have no authority. And the decorations went up last Saturday. So, are you affirmed? Yes, she's smiling at me. See what you get. So, so Christmas, at least the, the, the kind of the outward signs and the, the celebrations of Christmas began. And, and I, I hope you know I say all of that tongue-in-cheek. But uh, the other thing I noticed this week, though, something that has not been a tradition in our house, is that under the tree there are now a few presents. Tony put a, put a few presents out. And that is not something we have, we've ever done. It's just a few. But that we've never put presents out uh, under the tree before Christmas, especially as the kids have been growing up, at least some of the, the kids, the presents that, you know, aren't from Santa. 
And, um, but we've never put the presents out. Anybody want to guess why we've not put the presents out? Doesn't take a lot of brain work to think about why we don't do that. Because, what do, and, and I keep saying kids, but let's not fool ourselves. It's not just children, but what's that tendency, what's that magnetic pull that we have when presents go out that we know might be for us? What's our temptation? That's right. That's right. We want to pick it up. We want to figure out what it is. We want to shake it. We want to feel the weight. We want to kind of mess with the size. We want to see if we can figure out without necessarily peeking under the ribbon, which, or under the, which I know some of you have done, um, what, is, what is in the presence. And, and, and let me give you a little insight into to my family. Uh, two children, most of you know that, Ryan and Cassidy. Very, very different kids. Very, very different personalities. One of our childs, one of our children, uh, is very much doesn't mess with the presents. Uh, doesn't want to ruin the surprise. If we say, don't touch the present, this child does not touch the presents. The other child, who shall remain nameless, because I don't want to embarrass her, um, if you don't know, I have a son and a daughter, so just in case, um, is, you know, drawn to the temptation, cannot help herself. <laughs> if you didn't hear that, Tony said, just like her daddy. Um, that's not part of the sermon, thank you very much. And, and we'll try to, to figure it out. And, and, um, and that's what we do. You know, we anticipate. We get excited. When we think about Christmas anticipation, we think a lot of times about the presents. And that's not just a kid thing. I'm, I'm picking on Cassie. And Tony's right. She is a little bit like her daddy. She's like her uncles. We used to do this when we were growing up. And we would try to figure out what was in the presents. Sometimes we could. Sometimes we still do. And, and around our Christmas tree, uh, or our, around the tree at Christmas, sometimes Tony will hand a present, we'll, we'll sit there and we'll try to see if we can figure it out before we open it. And a lot of times we have. You know, you can kind of guess and you can figure things out. Um, but it's part of that anticipation, it's part of that tendency we have to, to want to try to discern what's the character and nature of the gift before we actually have the chance to open it. Now, that's what got framed my thinking for the sermon series that we begin today. As we, for the next few weeks, are going to, to look at the anticipation of Christmas through the lens, first, of the people of, of the Old Testament, through the lens of the words of the prophet Isaiah, who, gave, who God used to give some insight, to give some hints, if you will, of this promise, this gift that God was going to give his people. And that gift is the gift of Savior. That gift is the gift of Messiah. That gift is the gift of Jesus. Now, we have the advantage of being able to look forward and backward. We can, we can examine it through the lens of what they anticipated, but we also know the, the fruition. We've had a chance to unwrap the gift, if you will, and, and, and to see that the fullness of God's revelation in Jesus. And so we're going to kind of look at those two things. What were they waiting for? What did God give them an idea of what this promise of Jesus or, or Savior was going to be and how do we know that to have been lived out in the birth of the Christ child. So to do that, each week we're going to be on Isaiah. So if you're the kind of person that brings your Bible and reads along, bookmark Isaiah because we'll be there in different chapters for the next three weeks. But today we're in verse 7. 
And there's really a key focal, focal verse here that will sound familiar to some of you, but I want to kind of read a few verses around that. We're going we're gonna to talk about it this morning. So we pick up Isaiah chapter 7, beginning at verse 10. This is what we read. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you now try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, speak to us through your word. And as we anticipate, as we journey to the celebration of Christmas, speak to us the truth of the gift that you gave us in Jesus. We pray in his holy name. Amen and amen. Now, the temptation for us is to focus in on the, the central verse. The virgin will give birth or will conceive and give birth to a child. That's, that's, we're going to talk about that in a few moments. But to, to begin to, to understand the significance of this prophecy, we, we have to begin to kind of understand again what's happening at the time that Isaiah spoke these words. What's going on? And to put this into kind of a historical context, we're going to kind of really be at the same place we were last week. If you were here for the sermon last week, this is going to be somewhat redundant because we're in that same time period. Of, and, and if you weren't here last week, just to rehash, we're in, we're in a divided kingdom. The history of, of Israel, the, the, the story of Israel has been divided. After King Solomon, David and Solomon, the kingdom split in half. The northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And their history is littered with, as I said last week, bad king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad king, good king, bad king, good king. You know, it's this pattern of, of repetition, of, of unfaithfulness and, and redemption that just kind of goes on and on and on. And so last week we talked about one of the good kings of Judah. That was Hezekiah. Well, this week we're in Isaiah, and Isaiah's this time is spoken during the reign of King Ahaz. That's Hezekiah's father. Bad king. Disobedient king. Unfaithful king. And so that's the story, that, that, that's the, the context for which this is happening. A great time of uncertainty in the history of both Israel and Judah. And, and what has happened is, around the kingdom, uh, around the nation, is that Assyria is the dominant power. They're the, they're the world power in that part of the world anyway. And they're threatening the smaller kingdoms. They're threatening to overthrow and to take over and to, and to take people in exile. They're threatening kind of bad things. So there's a lot of fear. So the kingdoms are start, smaller kingdoms are starting to unite and they're turning on each other. They're trying to solidify their base. They're trying to get stronger. They're trying to seem a little more formidable than they are. They're trying to keep Assyria at bay. And so what happens is Ahaz, the king of Judah, becomes aware that Israel, the nation of Israel, again, remember, split kingdom, is aligning themselves with Syria, not Assyria, but with Syria, and they're threatening to invade Judah. Basically, in many ways, it's kind of brother against brother. They're threatening to invade what was once a united nation. And, um, and so that's, that's the anxiety, that's the fear, that's the uncertainty that 
Ahaz is dealing with, that the people are dealing with, that, that the, 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 the nation is dealing with. And there's a very, very telling verse. I didn't read, but it's verse 2. And this is what we said just as before I, from what I read this morning. It said, Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. That's the ally of the two nations that they're threatening to, to invade Judah. And it says this, So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. The hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken. I want that to, to resonate for a moment with you. Because the promise that God speaks is spoken into the lives of, of people that were in a very, very difficult place. A people whose hearts were shaken. As we approach this promise, as we approach this holy season, as we begin to examine the gift, what I know is that there are a good number of us here today that when we hear those words, the hearts are shaken, can immediately say, I know what that feels like. I'm there right now. My heart is shaken. Now maybe it's, it's obviously not from the threat of a foreign power, but it could be the, the, the fear of a foreign influence. It could be things in your life that are shaken that are in relationships with those people you love, maybe uh, struggles in, in relationships. It could be in your career. It could be in your financial well-being. It could be in your physical health or the physical health of, of somebody that you care very deeply about. There's, there's no way to, to, to limit, or we can't begin to limit the, the things in life that come up sometimes that leave our hearts shaken. But what I know is that there are many of us that behind our smiles and our, and our handshakes and our laughter are hearts that are shaken. And I start there because God speaks a promise to you. This promise is for you. Now you think maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're really in a good place and life is great. And you're not feeling your heart shaking. You're thinking, well, does that mean I can tune out this sermon? Well, here's what I know about those who are in that place. You know somebody who's hurting. You know somebody who's shaken. And this, this I, I almost hate to say this because it sounds so um, dark. It sounds so... Uh, uh, you know, unintentionally negative. But the reality is life is cyclical. And, and we will all face moments in our lives we feel our hearts shaken. You may not be there, and I hope you're not there today. But chances are, unless your life is extremely charmed, you will be someday. This promise is for you. What am I saying? This promise is for all of us. That's, that's basically what I want to say. This promise is for all of us. God speaks to the prophet words of hope to his people that are in a place where their hearts are shaken. God speaks to us words of hope. That's what Advent is about. It's about the hope that we experience in the gift of Christ. It's the preparation to receive that gift and to be open to that gift. And it's spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And so what's that word of hope? Well, here's the thing. This is the first thing. God wants the people to know that what you are afraid of is not going to happen. That what you're afraid of, that's what it says, what you are afraid of is not going to happen. 
Ahaz is afraid of the invading power of Israel and Syria. God says, stop. It's not going to happen. And that's a good place to pause because it made me think as I was reading this and preparing this. How many times do I spend my energy, emotional, physical, spiritual energy, worrying about things that I'm afraid of when God over and over looks at me and says, stop, Chris, it's not going to happen. Now, I know it's, it's easy in retrospect. We don't always know. We don't have crystal balls. You know, we're not, you know, God doesn't give us this magic ability to see into the future. But so often we find ourselves worrying about things and, and wasting our energy on things that just aren't going to happen. God says, don't worry, Ahaz. Don't worry, people of Israel. It's not going to happen. And what he desperately wants to do is he wants to give them a sign, a promise, not just for this specific moment in their history, but for the totality of their history, for those who are alive then, who will be, and who have been. Basically, he wants to give a promise for all of us. So he gives Ahaz an interesting invitation. In verse 10, he says, or in verse 11, Ask the Lord your God for a sign whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heavens. He says, ask for a sign, a miraculous sign. And interestingly enough, Ahaz's response is, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test, which sounds really pious, sounds really holy, it sounds really obedient. And so Ahaz was none of those things. It was really disobedient because it's God himself who's saying, ask for the sign. And Ahaz wouldn't do it. Ahaz was never obedient. And so don't let the words fool you. If you know the history of Ahaz, he was, he was never about honoring God. But God wants to give the people a sign. He wants to let them know it's going to be okay. And that's what I think we need to hear. I think that's what all of us need to hear. In the moments as we prepare for Christmas, in the moments that we're at right now, wherever you may be, you need to hear me say, it's going to be okay. Now, how can I say that? Because do I know something? No. I just know what God tells me. And that's what his word affirms. And so he says, Ahaz won't ask for the sign. But the prophet says this. He says, Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What's the sign? What's the sign of the hope that God's promising? What's the shape of the present? It's that a virgin is going to become pregnant and conceive and give birth to a child. I guess become pregnant and conceive is the same thing. The virgin's going to conceive and give birth to a child. And that was really, really important. That was what the people began to anticipate. That's what they began to wait for. They knew that was part of the prophecy that would tell them that this gift that they had waited for, that was going to be God's way of saying to them, it's going to be okay. Not just in a specific moment, but in the totality of human history. It's going to be okay. That's going to be our sign. And that is why it was so important for the for the Gospels and for the writers of the Gospels to make it abundantly clear, Jesus was the fulfillment of this sign. I want you to hear what Matthew again writes in the very first chapter of the Gospel when he's talking about the birth of Jesus. This is what we read at verse 20. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 says, But after he had considered this, talking about Joseph, what's Joseph considering? He's going to divorce Mary. He's not going to marry her because he knows she's pregnant and he knows he's not the father. 
So, you know, any of us would put one and one together and think this probably isn't a good way to start a marriage. And so he's going to divorce. He's going to put her away. It says, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now hear this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah spoke it. Isaiah said, this is what it's going to be. This will be how you know that hope has come. Matthew says that's exactly how Jesus enters the world. The virgin conceives and gives birth to a son, and you are to call him Emmanuel. It is the birth of hope. So what does that hope mean for us? What is that promise for us? It is summed up in that word Emmanuel. God with us. That's God's promise. I am with you. If you are here today and your heart is shaken, if you are here today and you are afraid, if you are here today and you don't know what tomorrow is going to be, hear this promise. I am with you. That's what God says will be your hope. My presence, my nearness, I will draw near to you. And there's nothing more important to us than physical closeness. There's nothing can replace physical proximity in the relationships that matter most to us. In summers past, when I've been away for sometimes a month at a time doing schooling or traveling, every night I've taken advantage, every night I could, of modern technology. And when I was away, Tony and I and, and the kids and I, we would Skype. We'd get on the computer so that we could see face-to-face. We could talk visually, if you will. And what a wonderful technology that is. What a great thing it was to be able to at least have that kind of a connection. But you know as well as I do, from those of you that, that use that technology with your loved ones, there's nothing that replaces being together. It's a nice thing, but there's nothing that can fill the void of being connected in physical proximity. God says, here's the gift. Here's the promise. Here's the hope that you have. I am going to be present with you. In the birth of this child, I will step into your story. In Hebrews, it talks about he became our high priest. He became our high priest because he could intercede for us because he faced the temptations we faced. He faced the sufferings he faced. He faced the challenges we face. And so Christ intercedes for us. Hear him say to you, I am with you. The problem is we just miss his presence because we're looking for the spectacular and we miss the miraculous. And I want you to hear that. He says it will be a miraculous sign. And a virgin having a baby is a miraculous sign. But hear me say this, there was nothing spectacular about the birth of Jesus. There was nothing spectacular about it. He was born in a stable among farm animals to a young mother and a carpenter dad with no fanfare save a few angels and shepherds. And shepherds were not at the top of the list of an invite to a party that you wanted to make a statement. Okay? It was not 
spectacular in a little backwards town called Bethlehem outside of Jerusalem. That's not the way royalty comes into the world. That's not the miraculous way we expect God to act, or the spectacular way we expect God to act. We, look for, we, we love the spectacular. We love the stories of miraculous healings that have no explanation. We love the stories who people, of people who, who are protected in the midst of calamity and walk away unscathed. We love the spectacular testimonies. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when we look for the spectacular, we miss the miraculous. That's what happened. Why did they all miss it? They've been waiting for generations for Jesus, and they missed him because it wasn't spectacular. We look for, we want it to be the way royalty is born. When, when William and Kate had their, had their kids over across the pond in England, um, I forget their names, every daggum time. What are those rugrats' names? Uh, George and... Charlotte, thank you. I can't remember. I don't follow it close enough. But, but remember when, when Kate was pregnant with George uh, and, and, and Charlotte as well, all the excitement and songs are written and parade, you know, parties are playing and every, the whole world's tuning in for the news of this royal birth, the spectacular arrival of this, of this child, spectacular in all the pomp and circumstance that was around it, not in the, the miracle of childbirth that happens. That's spectacular too, but everybody gets that. But, but he got all the festivities. That's what kind of we look for. We look for the spectacular, and we miss the miraculous. But God wants his people and wants us to know that sometimes that he comes and his words of assurance speak to us in the everyday and the ordinary. We just don't want to miss it. Another story from the Old Testament I'm just going to reference. You can go read it in 1 Kings chapter 19. The story of Elijah, who's on the run for his life. And he's a little angry with God because he's been faithful and all this bad stuff's happening to him. And he goes up and he hides in a cave on the mountain. And God says, Elijah, come out of the cave. I'm going to pass by. You're going to experience me. And so Elijah comes out and it says that there was a great wind, so much that the, rack, the rocks were cracked. It said God wasn't in it. And there was an earthquake, spectacular rumble, and God wasn't in it. And there was fire. And God wasn't in it. And then it says, Elijah heard the gentle whisper. The gentle whisper, sometimes the still small voice. And he knew that in that moment, he'd experienced the presence of God. It was miraculous, but it wasn't the spectacular. We need to be open to the hope that God gives us in Jesus, the hope that had been promised through the prophet that he speaks into our lives, that you have presence in your life. It is the whisper in your ear that reminds you that God is with you. And when you're in those moments and your hearts are shaken and you're uncertain and you don't know who you can depend on or what life is going to bring to you and what tomorrow is going to mean and, and, and any of the questions that sometimes plague us, hear God speak. Emmanuel, I am with you. And remember his promise that is for today and for always that one day his creation will be set free. His kingdom will be established and tears will be no more and suffering will be a distant memory and the heartbreak will melt into the promise of eternity. That is the hope of Christmas. That's the hope of Advent. That's the hope that we claim. That voice that speaks, Emmanuel. I 
am with you. I don't know where you are here today. I don't know what the beginning of this holy season is like for you. It would be nice if our problems and our challenges and our difficulties and our hardships took a vacation during the holy season, but they don't. And sometimes the holy season and, and the Christmas time can exacerbate those feelings and those struggles. Remember where your hope comes from. God's promise, it's going to be okay. He spoke it to the people of Israel through the prophet Isaiah, and he speaks it to us through the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, hear our prayer. Examine our hearts. We lift them to you. And, and some in here today are struggling, Lord. Some are afraid. Some are uncertain of what tomorrow would bring and, and are feeling the difficulty of the season. Lord, help us in those moments to hear your voice. Speak your truth and your love to us. And for those of us that, that life is good right now, we celebrate that. But help us to be a voice to others in their time of need to remind them they are loved, they are treasured, they are valued. God with us. That's the hope that we have at Christmas. That's the hope that we have always through the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.